This is Doc Wesson, and in this episode of The Gun Nation, Para is a part of Remington. That's why they're so good. Average Joe reviews a Walther CCP. And the Gun Nation gets a little feminine touch. And I'm not talking about Grant's hair. All that and more in this episode of the Gun Nation. It all begins right now. It's that time again for the Gun Nation, and we just keep adding people, not just any people, good people, and Paul. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, you got Slingblade. Tonight, we have Paul Slingblade with us, Carlson. Hey. How you doing, Paul? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't mean to carry no knives around. I'm doing good, Doc. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing all right. Kind of just, you know... It's it's been a hard week for me here already, and it's just Tuesday, so, and it just got worse. Ah, yeah. And we've got Average Joe with us tonight. Average Joe, sir, how are you? The working man. He is the working man. Why? Thank you, Doctor. I'm fine. Yes. <laughs> Subdued. And uh, we have Grant the Hare Cunningham with us tonight. How are you, Hare? Kombucha. Good. Good evening. I, yes, I do have a, a of course kombucha here, a Synergy Trilogy kombucha, actually. And uh, I'm Synergy get, Trilogy. Yeah. Let's. Oh, uh, I'm finally getting over the whatever I caught from Shot Show. Finally getting over. Yeah, it's because you keep drinking that mess. It just suppresses your immune system. It just won't let you like heal, man. What's up with that? Uh, it 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 boosts my immune system. This is the reason I've gotten over it so quickly. You know, actually, there. You said I, it took longer. You didn't say it was over quickly. No, I've talked to people that that were at <laughs> shot that actually that have actually gotten pneumonia. Believe it or not, mm. one guy actually ended up in the hospital. It's a it's amazing. It's a well, germ- I had uh, Ebola and uh, tuberculosis kind of fused together. It was crazy. Was, was that when you were on the helicopter, Paul? Yeah, Brian and I. Uh, well, you know how it is. <laughs> No, how is it? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, like that. Uh, and I was a basketball team when I was younger, but that's it. Only team I was on. And a bright spot in our night, we have a new contributor. It's it's not a guy, it's a it's a lady. So I expect you guys to be on your best behavior. You understand? You feeling yeah. me? You understand as, what I'm saying? You have been. You got what I'm saying? Yeah. Got what I'm saying? Yeah. Melo D. Lauer is with us. And uh Melody, welcome. Thank you. To the Gun Nation. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. It was my idea. I came up with it and um, decided to ask Grant to ask. Of course, it's not true. Grant, you got you got some email asking for some female influence in the uh, in the in the show, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it's my show and nobody bothered emailing me. I guess not. 
Of no. course not. Yeah, no, it is. Because they knew that, that you know, being, being an enlightened person and drinking kombucha, I, I think they realized that I would be the correct person to talk to. But <laughs> no, uh-huh. one, one of the problems is when we're talking, particularly when we're talking about concealed carry and that kind of thing, um, being guys, we, let's, I mean, we, we can certainly empathize and we can certainly understand uh, on an intellectual basis what women go through and all that kind of thing. But not having any, experience with it makes it a little more difficult and melody's got experience with those nice big hips and no no and well and i I don't have to worry about babies and and kids and and things because a i don't have any um and so it's nice to get sometimes a a perspective that we don't have and we really can't have so uh, i'm really glad that he used to have kids but there was the whole thing where the county came in and yeah, took them yeah. away. Uh-huh. It was bad. Well, I will contribute where I can. Well, we well, appreciate you. that. Well, you have a YouTube channel, basically, and I yep. guess along with uh, your blog, mm-hmm. uh, Lima Tunes, and it's yep. the Lima Tunes Range Diary. Yes. Yeah, that's the, that's the working title. <laughs> so, so kind of tell us a little bit about it, so people get to know you a little bit more, and then sure. You know, uh, well, it started out uh, that I was writing just some short stories about working in a gun store as a female, and a lot of people really enjoyed those and told me I should start a blog. So I did, and, I, and so that was the Lima Tunes Range Diaries. And the reason it was called the Lima Tunes Range Diaries was because I was writing these stories on the DefensiveCarry.com forum, and my handle there was Lima Tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is Lima, yes, uh, not Lima, and I am not from Ohio. Anyway. But, uh, <laughs> sorry. Wah, wah. <laughs> uh, then after that, interestingly enough, a friend of ours was having trouble removing his cam pin from his bolt carrier group. So I did a video on taking down an AR-15 and removing that cam pin. And <clears throat> I really honestly thought this was how YouTube happened. You know, you just put a video on YouTube and you got 150,000 views in two days. Mm-hmm. I just thought that's what happens. Um, I had no idea that I had gone quote unquote viral and those two things combined, my blog and the, um, YouTube channel made it look like I knew what I was doing and people (laughs) started following me and the rest is kind of history. Awesome. Awesome. And you're, you're an NRA instructor. Yes, I'm a, I've been an NRA certified instructor since 2007. I got my Range Master certified mm. uh, instruction or instructor, sorry, certification. Um, was it last year? The year before? Somewhere around there, mm-hmm. a year or two ago. <laughs> awesome. And um, so, yeah, I've been teaching since about 2007, and uh, continuing to train and and uh, write pretty much that whole time, uh, except for when having children, of course. Yeah, and you've got, how many kids do you have? I have three now. Wow. Three little munchkins. And I have a, awesome. a baby wearing and carrying class coming up, which is going to be interesting. Oh, oh, I'm liking that. Of course, seeing a little bit of that, that uh, you've had on your uh, blog site with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, well, let me just ask you right off the bat, and let me tell you why, because when we were pregnant with my son, uh, she wanted, she shoots, of course, and she wanted to go shooting with me. Mm-hmm. We we didn't know if it'd be safe to do that or not. Yep. 
That is, oh my gosh, I get that question so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on who you talk to, I mean, you've got people who are like, absolutely no, you may never, ever touch a gun while pregnant. And then you've got other people who say, well, if your doctor says it's okay, it's okay. Um, I was kind of right in the middle. You know, I, I try and stay away from all extremes. And mm-hmm. yes, there's a, definitely a risk. Obviously, we know that lead poison can be terrible for developmenting babies and we also know that um you know loud noises can cause all sorts of birth defects and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but when you when you look at the amount of exposure that you're getting you know 1 hour on the range outdoors for once a week is a lot different than 8 hours on an assembly line in a loud factory mm-hmm. um so i i continued when i was pregnant with all three of my kids i continued to shoot up until about my 16 weeks mark then I, I really cut down on mm-hmm. shooting and then if I had a match or something that I really wanted to do like last year I, I went ahead and did the Rangemaster Tactical Conference um, IDPA match that they do mm-hmm. and I had so many people kind of looking at me I was, I was 25 weeks pregnant at the time and people were looking at me going you're not going to shoot are you you know kind of like uh. You better not be shooting. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to shoot. It's, it's, it's all of, what, five minutes? You know, you go in there, you shoot the match, you're done. So, um, you know, I, all three of my kids have come out with perfect hearing, no lead. And I get all of my kids tested for lead um, a little bit more often than even what's recommended. Just mm-hmm. because we do so much shooting, I, I think it's something that's prudent to test for. Mm-hmm. And all of my kids' lead levels have been perfectly normal. Hmm. None of them have hearing issues. So, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a bad scientific study <laughs> and yeah. probably not the best way to conduct well, it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, Just in case. It. See if it hurts us. Let's do it. Yeah. I ran into this really recently, Melody. I had a, a student who's actually a friend of mine. His wife wanted to take a course. And, you know, we had a long talk about balance and trying to sort things out and he happens to be a scuba instructor and you know, one of my old dive partners, and, and we compared it to that. Here in the U.S., you know, it's just not something that, that we do. We don't scuba dive when yeah. we're pregnant. And when I say we, I mean people in general, obviously not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, over in Europe, it's a whole different ballgame. But they're also not yeah. studying it in detail. In That's they right. They don't even well, call it the same ballgame. It's, it's, it's football instead of soccer. Yeah, exactly. Really. It's confusing as heck. And so just trying to find that balance of, of what to do um, can be a challenge. And, and really, I like the sensible way that you're talking about things. Well, yeah. I, think, uh, I think Americans in general really like to go to extremes. I don't know why, but they do. And the, the favorite mommy phrase is, why risk it? You know, it's kind of like, well, then why would I cross the street in the morning? You know, you can take it so far where you wouldn't do anything. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't look out your window because you might get, you know, cancer from the sun rays or something. Mm. Hey, Joe. Yes. Um, Is it me or do you think Grant maybe his mom worked in a loud factory? (laughs) What? (laughs) I, I, I. Either that or she dropped him on his head. Uh, it's something. something. Repeatedly. Uh, I'm going to uh, drink some kombucha. <laughs> just for that. I want you to know. Right. That's why he grows his hair long as a yeah. cushion. Yeah, you got to cover up that big hole up there anyway. Well, Melody, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, uh, we are looking forward to your contributions to the show. Well, I and uh, I'm glad I thought of it. Um, so, going yes. forward. 
<laughs> Remington, guys. Remington. What the heck? Pa- okay, parrot ordnance. You know, they were up in Canada, mm-hmm. made their way to Charlotte, Perry, USA. And uh, a lot of people believe that it was going to be purchased or is purchased by Remington Outdoor Company. But actually, they have been, I guess, owned by uh, Remington Outdoor Company for what, some time now, I guess. And um, th- this whole thing came up. I saw it, you know, and of course, Grant, I believe the first uh, post I saw was what you had put up about wanting para to just completely fold and uh you know <laughs> just I to just to make had. yeah yeah well just to make sure that we ticked off those folks too <laughs> um grant got a little little in there but <clears throat> the press release uh, that i got uh is as follows this at remington outdoor company or rock roc we develop manufacture and market the highest quality firearms <laughs> ammunition and related products we have built roc by acquiring and cultivating great brands and products such as the remington 870 and 700 dpms rifles aac suppressors barnes bullets ammunition para usa handguns and more while continuously investing in our people and our facilities in 2011 remington re-entered the handgun market with the credit uh, critically acclaimed r1 1911, an updated version of the 1911 Remington made for the U.S. government in World War I. Most of Rock's new product launches and acquisitions have gone well, (laughs) but they aren't always perfect. Candidly, (laughs) we did a poor job with the Marlin factory location and the R-51 launch. Really? Really? (laughs) These were expensive, but valuable lessons. (laughs) Yeah. In in 2012, with the goal of expanding its handgun line, Rock acquired Para USA. So 2012 is when they bought them, uh, also known as Para from henceforward, a company that specialized in the production of competition, uh, high capacity, and double action 1911-style pistols. Following Remington's acquisition, Para, which had been experiencing quality control issues, saw a steep decline in warranty claims. Huh. Well, it goes on and on. Uh, basically, uh, that is the scoop. They are owners. What they are doing, and I'll just paraphrase the rest of it, is changing. They're they're getting rid rid of the pa- the para name, and they're just going to let it fold into the uh, Remington, you know, I guess umbrella or name, so to speak. And uh, hmm, I guess around the R centered around the R one line. Uh, so anyway. Grant, go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, essentially, what they're saying is, you know, we really screwed up the R-51 introduction, and, oh, yeah, we... We really messed up the the Moreland acquisition, making some of the worst rifles that's ever come out of that factory, but, hey, we're going to do a really good job with Para this time, pinky swear, right? (laughs) Really? Um, I, they're, they're starting, let's face it, and uh, I'm, I, I'm not shy about my general dislike of, of para guns because, quite frankly, I've never seen one that, that uh, really stood up to any amount of use. I've seen quite a few in, in classes, mm. and I know quite a few people that have them. For some reason, they're very popular uh, out our way. Uh-huh. Well, before we, before we go further, hold your thought there. 
Para really was started what back in the nineties or late eighties yeah, or something. Yeah, like it was late eighties, I think, yeah. up in Canada. And, and and they 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 started out with with a frame uh, that you could purchase. Actually, they started before then. They were making a um, a marking cartridge gun that was a predecessor to simunitions. And in fact, the hmm. the inventor of simunitions, uh, Ken Murray, actually worked with them on that project. So they started out originally making this marking gun, which is why they were called para ordnance, para from the Latin meaning resembling an ordnance. So you have something that's kind of like a gun, hmm. which has been my joke for a long time. And then they started making frames and then finally complete guns. And then, of course, they opened up a factory in the United States because exporting from Canada to the United States apparently is a, a, a problem. So mm-hmm. that's how they – and their first guns, I believe, and Paul will remember, I believe the first firearms they made were the double stack 45s, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. They, when I was uh, competing in, in USPSA, IPSC at the time, you know, it was, that was the poor man's STI or SVI. Yeah. It was the uh, the gun that could be bought that was high capacity and uh, shot 40 or 45 to make major power factor. And, and guys spent a lot of time, effort, and, and energy keeping those guns running because they they weren't the uh, the tip top of the of the mountain yeah. the pinnacle they weren't the pinnacle that uh para hoped to be so you're saying they sucked yeah pr- well yeah, I, I, you know pretty much yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and i guess the frames originally their frames i don't they didn't did they make single stack frames or did they just start out with the double stacks i don't recall them introducing single stacks until quite some time after they were in business yeah because I, I remember that we were when they first and, and it's i want to say 89 or 90 that we were uh we're looking at the oh wow all these what 12 rounds in 1911 we thought it was the best thing since popcorn of course none of us bought any of them and uh you know i i think i knew one person that had one and he had just issues now again i'm talking about the frame part that he made it to his previous slide that he had but it just for some reason that he i want to say he was having you know some issues with it but uh, i knew one guy that had one way back when and that guy had issues, and I'm not talking about the gun. Um, yeah. Anyways. See, yeah. I, I know quite a few people that have got their guns. I know some people that carry them, and they've all got issues. I mean, parts breakage. I, I've seen the the thumb safety snap off. I've seen the slide stop snap, feeding problems. The LDA trigger was just a, another whole category of hurt. And, it, it, you know, it's just never been a – a really high quality gun, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, interestingly enough, and I don't think this is in any way, shape, or form para specific, but that fellow that I'm talking about that had that para, um, he actually detonated a 40 cartridge in his hand as he was ejecting it from his para. Um, the uh, extractor, basically, he covered the ejection port intentionally to catch his round. Oh, and yeah. as he cycled the slide back and then let it come forward, the ejector hit the primer, detonated the round while it was not in the chamber. And boy, mm. that was a mess of tiny little brass pieces buried in a hand. Um, <clears throat> so talk about issues. Well, and I'm sure there's probably some folks out there that have had them and maybe loved them. I mean, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so I mean, I, I can't speak to it because I've never I've never had one. My my Is, husband's first carry gun was a para. Uh-huh. Ooh. Um, and he was, he was a diehard 1911 and, you know, lover before, before I was even old enough to carry. (laughs) And so he carried one of the, um, I'm trying to remember the model he carried. 
he had two. He had two paras. Um, both were, of course, the double stack. And he just thought this was the best of both worlds. You got the 1911, quote-unquote, style um, with a double stack, you know, with the that much capacity. And just problem children, very much oh, problem really? children. Well, I know um, – now, I've had uh, – I've not owned one. I don't really – I think I – there's one guy that I, I think back now that I knew that had one. He had the Warthog, and he I think he loved it. Um, and I was trying to remember, Joe, didn't – I think you did a uh, – didn't you do a review on the Warthog at one point? Yeah, I had a um, reader mm-hmm. really telling me I needed to do one on the Warthog, and there was one in the rental shop at mm-hmm. one of the ranges, and so I rented it, and – fired several hundred rounds through it and it was at that point that i decided i'm not going to take any more requests (laughs) 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 because what what do you do if you know so oh you got to review this gun you got to review this gun i love it it's my favorite everyday carry piece and then you don't really care for it (laughs) but what is the what 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 is the whole how is this all wrapping up are we Getting to a point where we're saying that it'll be difficult for Remington to screw this up? Uh, any worse, you mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I assume that's pretty much where it's headed. No, they're they're going to make it worse. They're going to, I mean, in six months, every pair of ordnance owner is going to be owed a Pelican case and not have a gun <laughs> That's my prediction. I, I, and, and I hate to bag on Remington. No, you don't. don't. But <laughs> but it's 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 really sad. And and when when they now are using the the ROC, you know, dumb as a rock, um, inflexible <laughs> as a rock. I mean, what it what kills me about that press release? And I texted Grant and a couple other folks last night. You know, mm. when I finally sat down and read the press release, you know, it came across my newsfeed. I'm looking like Remington. Who cares? Like I just completely ignored it. And when I finally sat down to read it, and they gave the non-apology of yeah, we learned some valuable lessons from the R51 launch. Okay, can you enumerate those lessons for me? Because no one has a working pistol. Yeah. So what lesson did you learn? Yeah, there's no lesson there. It, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And that's, that's the frustration. So. Hey, Pelican's doing good. Yeah, those <laughs> cases are awesome. They are awesome, i got to say. I was tempted to buy an R51 just to get a Pelican case. Well, you know, Bass Pro Shops still has them for sale for twenty five. I'll sell you mine for four hundred. Just yeah, let you know, everybody. Well, you know, um, Ian would want that. I think he wants. He has. Does he have one? Oh, he wants. I think he actually has an original. He has an original, and he's interested in mine because he'd like to have the two of them side by side. And and actually, (laughs) this is what I told him because I know I don't ever have to you know live up to it. When I get my new R fifty one to compare when i'm finished i'll send him the old one mm-hmm. well, i don't have to worry about that i can keep my gun right so well anyway that'll be you know you get to keep it and it'll be a collector's item down the road there you go you know people will be like oh my gosh do you remember the day hey paul's got one and It'll it's in this mysteries at the museum that's right nice. <laughs> yeah and it's in this beautiful bright orange pelican i'm gonna case. have them do the wax statue of me at the venetian at that that museum i'll have them do with the r51 when they do it, <laughs> it maybe it'll work maybe the wax yeah. one will work yeah it could it's better think? than this one it won't blow up at least <laughs> well, well anyway you know it, it will not be too long before someone comes into the shop with an r51 
and wants a lot of money for it because they'll claim it's a collector's item oh, because yeah. they didn't make very many of them. Mm. And uh, I'll have to do the explanation again that <laughs> um, sometimes there's a reason they didn't make many of them. <laughs> and just because they didn't make ma- very many of them doesn't mean it's a collector's item. Mm. Colt All-American 2000. Yeah, here we go with yes. that again. <laughs> that was the first one where I had to go into that explanation. Yeah. And um, then there was the Clerk 22. Clerk. Yep. So the net result of all this is that that uh, Remington is euthanizing the Paraname, and it goes away, and pretty soon we'll be complaining not about Paraguns, but about the Remington single stack. That's a shame. Ones. I mean, I, you know, we, we rib it, and we deservingly, deservedly make fun, I guess. But the whole thing... We, I, I'm pretty sure all of us would really, really like to see Remington get things whipped around here. I've, I've mentioned before uh, that I got a buddy that was – he was VP, uh, I guess senior vice president in charge of firearms for Remington. So he was, you know, head of the firearms side of it. Um, I, you know, I was – I told you guys before um, a couple weeks ago, you know, I, I, I'd gotten – this guy I worked with in years past and been friends with him and hunt with him and stuff like that. And um, I had somehow had gotten out of touch with him for a little while, not a whole, not not a great length of time. I knew he was still at Remington, at, you know, um, but I had seen on AmmoLand dot com that he had moved to a, another company, a hunting uh, supply type company, and it took a CEO spot there. And so immediately I was like, oh my gosh! So I I, I contacted him and and. I'm not going to mention his name or right now or anything else until he gives me the okay to do it. But naturally, I asked him <laughs> whose fault was it <laughs> you know, that he's not there. And and then, of course, I, just not thinking because he's an old buddy of mine and I'm talking to him kind of like I'm talking to you guys. I said, you know, what's going on over there, man, with the R51 and all this and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, that's a long story. I'll have to sit down and tell you over dinners. You know, so I'm hoping we get that and hopefully he'll. Did he say over dinners, plural? Over dinner. (laughs) Okay. I I didn't say dinners. dinners. No. Did I say dinners? I didn't say dinners. Um. That's that Minneapolis thing up there. Y'all have two at night, don't you? When you when you go for that dinner, Doc, make yeah. sure you get something simple. Because if it's a steak, it's going to end up cooked wrong. If uh, <laughs> I, you know it's pasta, it's going to spill on your shirt. It's going to be a disaster. Just talk. Well, he doesn't work for Remington anymore, so maybe, I might just maybe, I don't, I don't know. So anyway, I, I I I'd love to know the real scoop of what's happening. I mean, you know, I, it's it's. Again, I love Remington. I've loved what they've done years past. We've all enjoyed, you know, over decades of Marlin, you know, lever actions. Hey, Melody, how do you say L-E-V-E-R? I, oh, you're putting me on the spot. Yeah, and you're going to say it the right way. Go ahead. I've always said lever. I'm going to mute uh-huh, her right you. now. Uh-huh, mute, 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 mute. I got a new friend request or a new uh, friend on Facebook. Her name's Melody. She says it the right way. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> anyway. Also, I've always questioned myself because so many people, when I've worked, you know, gun retail and stuff, have come in and be like, hey, can I see that lever action over there? And I'm Are like, you am, I, am I just, am I saying it wrong? Do I sound like a dog? No, honey. You're, no. you're, well, you're doing When they there. come in asking to see a lever action, you should uh, refer them to Walmart. <laughs> <sighs> 
That's in the soap department, sir. Got to learn to speak the Queen's English. At any rate. Okay, so, yeah, you're right. They're headed down this as if, I, you know, I, we mentioned this. I, I think, Grant, you post once you posted it on Facebook and uh, everybody got involved with talking about it. And, you, you know, you've seen it time and time again, I guess, where company starts getting kind of too big for its britches. And then it just they, – they lose focus on, on certain things that have made them what they are. And uh, I think this is partly that, partly because they're they're just getting too big. They keep doing it, though. You know, in, in essence, when, whenever things like this has happened, companies I've worked for in the past, typically they start downsizing and trying to get back yes. to their quality and focus on what made them great to begin with. And when they've done that, it's, you know, it's it's turned out great. It actually bolstered them to be greater and have more profitable sales uh, after they did the reset than they did before when they dropped back to the original part of it. Because, you know, that's some great marketing, I think, to say, hey, we have screwed this up. We're starting over. Reset button. We're getting back to, to to the basics here. And we're going to uh, put out quality. We're going to focus on our quality. And I think I forgot who said it on uh, as a I uh, did post on. Oh, brother. As a post on. uh, It might have been you, Paul, (laughs) on uh, on Grant's uh, post there. But uh, stating something about, you know, you've got these, uh, uh, I guess, industrial engineers and these, uh, you know, economy majors or whatever that are in there, business majors that are don't know anything really about like firearms and the quality of firearms are just trying to push the number and get the bottom line and all that. And I think that a lot of that has to do with that. You know, you just you lose your core competency in a company and you lose that that general knowledge all the way around. You just start getting people in there that really don't understand the product that that well, I would think. So when when well, the, the first step to a business failure is to focus on numbers rather than to focus on the business and mm-hmm. focus on quality. <clears throat> and one wonders, um, have the people, because in any organization, yes, there are manuals and there are instruction guides and blah, blah, blah. But there's also a certain amount of institutional knowledge that is in people's heads and not uh, you know, written down in any manual or on any corporate website. Do the people that have that institutional knowledge still reside there or have they all either voluntarily left or been pushed out because they're older and they make more money than um, younger, newer employees? Mm. That's, a, that's always a, a concern. And I suspect there's still a lot of those guys left. Heck, there are a lot of those guys left at Colt, and Colt's gone through <laughs> you know a couple of decades of this now. When – Steve Jobs took over at Apple after uh, after Apple bought uh, Next Computer, and Jobs walked into an Apple that was near bankruptcy and doing very very poorly. They had like a million SKUs of machines that they were that they were selling, and one of the things that, that he said is, "Listen, the 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 thing that we need to learn to do is to say no." And that means getting rid of entire lines of stuff that we're in now that we don't need to be in. Mm-hmm. 
And it was that was really the beginning of the of the big turnaround at Apple. In fact, the the greatest turnaround in American business history because of that. And that's what Remington needs to do. They need to to a certain extent. That's what Freedom Group needs to do, yeah. especially yeah. Remington. They need to say, listen, uh, no. We're going to get rid of some lines. We're going to abandon some stuff, sell some stuff off, and and focus on the whatever those things are that we think are going to make us money. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like I mean, it sounds like I'm ragging on Remington. I know it sounds like we're all ragging on Remington, but we really do mm-hmm. want to see them to succeed. I mean, come on, I'm still rooting for Colt for crying out loud. Yeah, right. and um, I would really like to see Remington get back to a, a good, healthy, quality uh, producing company. And they're, it's, it's like they're intent on doing everything but that. Yeah. So, so let's, let's go with that, Grant. I mean, you know, as I think about this and I think about what you're saying, it's kind of what I felt like about Remington for a long time. <laughs> Excuse me? What? Excuse me? That's how you felt? That would be Ringland. He's he's giving his opinion. Oh, so so let's take what you're saying, Grant. Let's go with it. If you were in charge of Remington and you were ready to to get the company back on its feet, what would you do? Where where would you go from here? I think that I think Remington's desire to branch out into the handgun market in general is a mistake, because right. Remington has always been known for long guns. And they, they've never been known for, for handguns, the, the uh, original Model 51 notwithstanding. Get, quit trying to focus on handguns. Get rid of that. Sell that stuff off. Get back to focusing on doing your long guns correctly. Which And they've had issues there. They've had issues with the Model 700, the Model 7, the Model 887. Uh, they've had all kinds of issues. So they need to get back to focusing on that. They uh, they also need to work, quite frankly, on their ammunition lines. Uh, if you go over to Rimfire Forums and ask everybody over there what their most hated twenty two ammunition is, and they'll tell you Remington Golden Bullet. Uh, and they need to get back and focus on that. It used to be that Remington Green Tag twenty two was one of the better match grade twenty two ammo out there, and and now it's it's crap, and it's probably just as well that you can't find it. So I take a look at at what they're making money on and where where their sales are happening and focus on those areas rather than trying to branch out into all kinds of other stuff. And keep in mind, it's not just handguns. They're, they're branching out into all kinds of accessories. Yeah. Uh, you know, all just all kinds of stuff in an effort to become some sort of vertically inter- integrated company. Um, that was the rage in the 1990s. So, it's it's as if they've got 1990s management style yeah. in 2015. Yeah, that would be the first thing I'd do as a CEO. Um, if anybody in a meeting mentioned um, vertical integration, we would just shoot them with an R51. No, no, use a Glock or an H and K or Smith and Wesson. That's what they have in the boardroom. No, it wouldn't work. <laughs> I, I'm I'm totally with you guys. I mean, cut the para, get rid of um, Marlin, sell those sell those companies off. AAC, Storm Lake. Um, you know yeah. why are, why are these part of the portfolio? This is a a, a, a business attitude mm. rather than a gun manufacturing attitude, and it's incorrect. And go back and perfect the 700. Well, that's what I'm and, saying. And keep the shotguns 
that's what Remington's known for. Yeah. And yeah. then the other thing I'd say is I, where, where I disagree with you, Grant, is you know the R fifty one is in theory an important part of Remington history. All right, get that gun quietly, develop it in the background. And the biggest mistake Remington made was running hardcore ads and introducing this gun before they were ready. Mm-hmm. And and they brought it to the to the mainstream, and they had the money and the power to market it, and they marketed something that was a flop. I think it has to do with marketing. Period. People, the folks in there that probably aren't that up on firearms to begin with, and are like, "Hey, you got to give us something. You got to give us something. You know, we've got this coming up. We've got the shot show. You got NRA. You've got, and then, you know, we've got we've got all these, you know, companies pulled together. We've got to have something for show to show for it. Well, what are you working on? Well, we're working on the new R fifty one, which is going to kind of be off the old. Oh, well, that yeah. And then all Leave of a sudden it goes from there. And and I think that's because my company does that. We get in trouble when we do that every single time. It's like, oh, uh, you know, they come to, to me being an R&D. They come to us and say, well, we've got to have something to show for this, this new ballistic thing. We've got to come out there with something to sell. Well, I'm not ready. We're not ready for it yet. Well, we've got to lead with it. We've got to have something we can say about it. Give us some data. I like that. Give us some data. I say, if I give you data, you don't even know what it is. You don't even understand it. That's the problem. You know, so I have a feeling that that's kind of how it ended up getting. Doc, there aren't any MSRPs on your data. Uh, We're not able to understand. (laughs) uh... And then they ask me, what should we charge for this? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're asking the development guy, what you isn't that what marketing is supposed to be doing? But I, anyway. I still remember one of one of the famous quotes from Steve Jobs is, don't pay attention to marketing. There are too many people working in marketing. Yeah, you got that right. Too many people in marketing. So, Unfortunately, those are the ones that raise, that rise up and run the company at most, most times, more times yeah. than not. So Anyway, yeah. Okay. So, But you know what they could do? They could get the Exile Machine Revolver Conversion Kits for sale oh, for the AR-15. Yes, Boom. ladies if and gentlemen. Perfect that. Do you like AR-15? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you like revolvers? Mm. <laughs> Boy, is there something out there for you. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's a revolver. It's an AR-15. It's the Exile Machine it's, Revolver Conversion Kits for the both. AR-15. Yeah, Paul, we said you were going to take this one. Go, baby, go. J-frame boot grip. It's great. (laughs) It's very reminiscent. It reminds me of, like, you know, people uh, posting, like, you know, the SHOT Show. Hey, look at this new – it's a parody, obviously. Look at this new, you know, picture of this Glock revolver. You know, remember? It kind of reminds me of that kind of deal, so (laughs) – was it Grant? Were we, were we gonna let you run with it, or was it Paul? Paul's running with it. I don't know. Somebody run with it. Go, Grant. Well, th- this company, Exile Machine, put out this press release where they talked about the revolver conversion kit for the AR-15, and uh, it, quite frankly, it was one of the funniest things that I've seen in a long time. And they did a really good Photoshop. Oh, it looks fantastic, just it like it's meant fantastic. to be. I mean, it 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 looks real. And they they had a lot of funny thought. And if you read the uh, the the press release that they put out, it was pretty obvious that this was a parody. And in fact, they put down in big red letters at the bottom, "Yeah, this is a parody." Parody, but they did it to draw attention to the other stuff that they carry. But the funny thing is, they're talking about how the conversion kit includes all this stuff. Uh, to convert your AR-15 into a traditional revolving rifle. Um, and it talks about available calibers, 
22 Magnum, 38 Special, <laughs> 357, 44, 45, 454 Casole, 50 Smith and Wesson, 500 Smith and Wesson Magnum, and uh, legal in all 57 states. And just add your existing AR-15 upper and lower receiver, but stock sights and barrel shroud. <clears throat> easy now, easy do-it-yourself home conversion requires <laughs> only a flat blade screwdriver. TIG welder, drill press, and five-axis CNC machine. <laughs> it was a great bit of parody. Absolutely hilarious yeah. and uh, it, 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 very well done. But and a lot of people lot of fell for it. There were people that fell for oh, it. Oh, they were falling because I saw it at first. Somebody actually put it up on Facebook and then, of course, tagged me. And I saw it and I was like, say what? And, and of course, Facebook is legit. <clears throat> yeah, it's got to be Facebook legit. It's got to be Facebook legit. And so, and, and uh, those that thought it le- were legit, Doc, were also people who all own the Rossi Circuit Judge. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's that's my favorite part right there. Joe, <clears throat> is that folks brought that up immediately? Said, well, you know, a slightly less versatile version would be the Rossi Circuit yeah. Judge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't hang stuff off of it. What but you're right. me is that, yeah. you know, with the, the grip that's on there, you're not even going to be able to use speed loaders unless you grind that sucker. <laughs> no, and, I mean, if they really used this gun, they would know that. Oh. And quite frankly, I it looks like the forward assist is not properly lined up with, <laughs> with any of the chambers. And so that becomes a problem. So funny. But you're right. In red letters, it said, yes, this product is fictional. But while you're while you're here, please check out our 15,000 plus other real products at insanely low prices. But, yeah, that was I have to say that one. uh, Kudos to them for hitting that one. Yeah. It'd make me buy from them. I swear it would. Yeah, exactly. I'd never heard of Exile Machine before. And now I know who they are. So yeah. this obviously worked. It was great tongue in cheek, just the right amount of humor, and and I'm it's still awesome. I'm looking at the picture. It still looks great. Whoever did it, <clears throat> it really looks like it's the real thing. I mean, it does. Mm-hmm. It really does. The little J frame. That's just hilarious. When you look at the pictures, though, there's mm-hmm. no muzzle device. It's not threaded. There's no flash hider. <laughs> there's no. And I, I mean, that was the tip off to me that it couldn't possibly be real. Of course. And, and, and zero inches of rail space. It's a bunch of crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no key mod, should, no It should M-lock. certainly be M-lock or R-lock for revolver. You know, it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Well... <sighs> Hey, did you see? I was going to say, I got an email. I think somebody posted it on our, um, the Gun Nation Facebook page. Uh, the commemorative, Doc Wesson commemorative, commemorative edition of the GP100. Have you seen that? No. Oh, I'll have to put it on our page just for fun. But uh, Jason uh, had emailed me a picture of it. Now, this, this thing is, is, of course, a GP100. It looks like a. I don't know, it's not a four-inch barrel, maybe six-inch, four. I don't know, I can't tell really. But it says, Doc Wesson Commemorative Edition, limited offer. Contact your dealer today, but it has a thumb safety on it. <laughs> it has Doc Wesson, of course, on the lug of the barrel. And, and at the uh, trigger, it says, trigger zone. <laughs> I like it. <clears throat> I like it. Kudos to Jason on that. So I got mine first, Grant. Okay. Wiley Clap, then me. Just saying, just saying. Uh, since we're talking about emails, let's get to a few here. We have no voicemails this time, which is shocking because we've been getting a lot of them. Um, this being uh, from uh, Mark in uh, 
triangle, the triangle of North Carolina, which is like Raleigh, Durham, Wake Forest area. Uh, he says, <clears throat> excuse me, just recently discovered your show and love it. I really enjoy how you guys mix new and old firearms in your discussion. Lots of good info. I have never thought of the governor or the judge as anything other than novelty fun guns. But recently, I have been eyeing the Smith governor. I just moved into a new ta- uh, new townhome style house, so the upstairs hallway is short and the rooms are pretty close together. My concern is overpenetration or a clean mess in the middle of the night. My daughter's room is right at the top of the stairs, and <clears throat> if I wait till he is in the hallway, my son's room is right there. My question is, do any of you have any hands-on, I guess, experience with any of the 410 defense rounds? I've been researching uh, the Internet, but nothing of the articles are either people, nothing, wait a minute, let me read this here, Internet, but most of the articles are either people trying to push the sale of it or armchair rangers talking about their talking out of their butts <laughs> any info or opinions <clears throat> would be greatly appreciated thanks um i i still am in the camp that i i mean i think most of us here are that that is still novelty in my opinion uh now 410 as a defensive round you know if you're going to use a shotgun uh, a long gun scatter gun i know joe you can really uh, speak to that because that's kind of what you do well yeah and that's because of a shoulder injury 410 is about uh, the most shotgun that I can handle, and uh, um, Federal uh, makes a three-inch round with five uh, double-aught pellets in it and a two-and-a-half-inch round with four, and both of them group excellently at um, self-defense um, ranges, and out to 30 feet, that thing would be devastating. Um Further out, uh, it will still be devastating too. But at 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 thirty feet, those four to five pellets are almost touching um, when they hit the target. Yeah, I think it's important to to point out this is out of a actual shotgun, though, right? Yes, sixteen yeah. inch barrel. Yeah, yeah. The it, it's the the interesting thing about shotguns to remember is that the. Uh, the, the velocity out of shotguns is always the same, regardless of, of, the, of the gauge of the shotgun. It's just that the payload differs. And so the, the, the thing about the buckshot out of a 410 is it's going at the same speed as it is out of a 20-gauge or 12-gauge, just that there are fewer pellets. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that when you stick it in one of these short guns, the velocity is greatly reduced, which mm-hmm. means penetration is greatly reduced. So now you've got something that you're basically firing three or four or five small pellets at handgun velocities, and it, it's like firing three or four or five 25 ACP rounds at that point. Actually, the 25 ACP rounds are probably performing a little better. Mm-hmm. Most of the self-defense rounds are out, out there for the, the judge and the governor and these other 410 handguns <clears throat> are based upon the idea of, oh, we're going to put discs in them, we're going to do this and that and the other thing. And you have to remember that the most efficient, the, the highest sectional density occurs with the round ball. Once you make them into discs, they now have less penetration and less effect on the target than the balls did. Mm. So 
I'm just I'm not a big fan of any of the four ten rounds out of a handgun. No, they they just don't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. If you're going to if you have to have a governor load it with forty five Colts or buy a forty five or buy a forty five <laughs> or do something yeah. other than get this 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 silly hybrid. Well, I think I think another important thing to note is the fact that when you're firing out of a handgun, you are firing out of a rifled barrel. And when these pellets come out of the rifled barrel, they have a tendency to form not that uh, nice pattern that comes out of an 18-inch 410, but mm-hmm. instead a donut. It slings them, yeah. Yeah, a big circle. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not going to give the kind of uh, devastation that you're looking for. No. The, the, and what uh, came to mind as I'm listening to the email is that, uh, and, and I don't want to be at all presumptuous here, but it sounds like the the listener is trying to find an ammunition ammunition solution to what is actually a tactical problem. Mm-hmm. If you're worried about the guy getting up the stairs before you get to him, then you need better advanced warning mechanisms, dog alarm, whatever, so that you know he's there before he gets up the house, mm-hmm. uh, up the stairs, mm-hmm. and in line now with your kids' rooms. Mm-hmm. What you need to be able to do is to get to the top of the stairs where you've got a command of that situation. And now you can use something substantially more effective, like a real shotgun or a real rifle or a real handgun, mm-hmm. rather than waiting till you get something <clears throat> so he's in line with your kid's room and now you're afraid to shoot. Mm-hmm. Well, with the 410, I mean, I don't see any problem with him having the 410. As long as, uh, not as, long as it's a shotgun, yeah. yeah. As long as this is a real shotgun instead of, uh, and now granted, you know those those things are fun. I mean, you know, the, I think the governor shoots supposed to shoot like uh, forty five Colt, forty five ACP, and the four ten. I think. I think they they went to eleven. They took it the extra step over the judge, um, and and I've seen people shooting, you know, skeet with them. Uh, so that's kind of. A novel thing, and I'm with him. Like at the very beginning, he's always thought of it as a novelty. I still do too. And his, but his if you, initial re- reaction was correct, it's a novelty. Yeah, and and I say just what we've all iterated here is, you know, if you're going to be serious about uh, protection, uh, do what Grant's saying is number one: posture yourself correctly uh, as far as uh, knowing what's going to happen ahead of time. And then try not to put yourself in a position where that's that's going to happen. And then, well, yeah, overpenetration is often a tactics issue, right? Not right. Exactly. That's my point. Exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, and then get you know if you if you choose a four ten, uh, then yeah, do it. Uh, get you the shotgun. Uh, they go right ahead. Good uh, good thing there. I sent you guys a, a uh, for the next email. I sent you just sent you a link to look at. Uh, let me see if I've got that. It's a grip. This is an email from uh, Lawrence, our buddy Lawrence, who's down in Charlotte, who's been with us from the beginning, basically. Um, he says, uh, Lawrence here from Charlotte. Nice show last time. He missed Joe last time. There you go, Joe. Um, Thank you. I just saw this on Midway USA, and we'll try it on oh, my yeah, 438. Do you or Grant have any, or Joe, or Paul, anybody, a Melody, have any experience with this grip? Thanks in advance. Uh, Can I say something here first, Doc? Uh, no. Melody, just uh, so you know, if, if you don't get mentioned, don't answer. Um, <laughs> it's it's one of the ways I protest. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I don't answer. Sometimes I don't ask you on purpose. <laughs> 
But anyway, this is the Ergo Delta Grip, and it's uh, it's meant for like a little J frame, and it, it, it you know it's not. I was going to say similar to like the Tyler T, but it's not. Not anywhere no. close to no, it. No, 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 no. It's not a Tyler T grip. This thing, in essence, gives you the. I don't know. Probably to me would be the oddest grip stance, uh, not grip stance, but grip angle. Um, well, I put one <clears throat> on my Wyatt Deep Cover uh, six thirty seven mm-hmm. J frame, mm-hmm. and the the little J frame, my knuckles kept bouncing off the uh, trigger guard during recoil, <laughs> and so I looked at this and I thought, well. This will certainly solve that problem because there's no pl- your your knuckle will not be there's no way it can even touch it <laughs> yeah yeah anymore and kind of if you if you hold your hand you know like you're holding a revolver um, you will notice that your fingers taper out as they go up so when I looked at it I thought well that kind of makes some sense but mm-hmm. here was the problem with it. Um, it is thin mm-hmm. um, because it is so – I don't want to say wide, but lengthwise it's long. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very thin and you've got then all of that recoil coming back in a very concentrated, you know, focused effort right into the web of your hand. And it was not at all comfortable for me to shoot. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's probably somebody out there that thinks it's the greatest thing since pay toilets. Um, but come <laughs> to think of it, pay toilets weren't all that great either. <laughs> well, I, to me, I just I've never shot one with this. I've never even handled one. To me, just the, the look of it, I believe if I went to point with it, the, I believe the muzzle would be completely straight up at the ceiling <laughs> if I went out with it. I've um, had an, I've had a number <clears throat> of students with them in my class. Really heavy. Yes, I've had had quite a few of them. I've gotten a chance to shoot them, and the it, it positions the the hand at an angle that, first of all, makes it difficult for some people to actually reach the trigger. That's mm-hmm. that's a that can be a problem mm-hmm. because it does drive your whole hand back because they filled in quite a ways behind the back strap in order to get that angle, and the none of my students have had tremendous success with them in terms of their ability to shoot. And I think part of it is because when you come up on target, the the muzzle is not where you expect it to be and you end up taking a lot of time and a lot of cognitive effort trying to put that muzzle back down where it's supposed to be mm-hmm. and so that you can index on target. So I'm not a big fan. They don't fit my hands at all. And I agree with, with Joe. They're thin. They concentrate the recoil in a small area. And uh, I just uh, I, I have not met anyone yet that was just tremendously in love with theirs. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you. Reach issue would be a big problem from my standpoint. I don't have tons and tons of experience with revolvers, but when I did the Rangemaster uh, instructor class, we had to work with revolvers, and uh, hand strength became a really big issue. So if I'm really reaching for a trigger, it's just not going to happen because I can't get that yeah. knuckle curled around there to pull it back. Exactly. I've got short fingers, and so this thing puts my finger a long way from the trigger. Uh, in fact, it, mo- it, most people's ha- fingers are longer than mine, and so I have a great deal of difficulty reaching the, the trigger even on a J-frame with these things. 
Let me ask you this question, Grant. The students that you've had, have they been able to use this grip with a speed loader? I, you know, I made a, a, a silly comment about the Exile machine revolver, mm-hmm. um, but at the same point, or at the same time, that was kind of a, a realistic comment. A lot of stocks don't work with speed loaders. The the Ergo grip has this kind of there's this funny little uh, um, hump in mm-hmm. it behind the trigger and underneath the the trigger guard so it's 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 kind of sculpted out for a speed loader and then it's kind of sculpted out again for the finger to get around to the trigger and there's a there's kind of a hump between them and that hump gets in the way okay and so so my frustration is here somebody's developing a new stock for revolvers or a new grip whatever you want to call it and they don't even understand all the problems that come with reloading a revolver with the the OEM parts I think that's a yeah. I think that's not not a fan. You know, if you're going to solve problems, let's solve real problems. Interesting. So, needless to say, I'm not getting one. No, thank you. I don't even. I can't imagine having that thing in like a pocket holster in your pocket and reach down there and it's not grabbed the same way. I just <laughs> yeah. Is, is that a gun it's, in your pocket it's a, or? It's an odd thing. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully we went through that enough for Lawrence. Uh, let's do one more email because we have got to move forward. I got quite a few, but we'll. Maybe pick up on them next time. In your last episode – oh, this is from Douglas. Uh, We appreciate Douglas writing in, as everybody. In your last episode, you discussed the 380 for self-defense. I work in a county jail. I took an inmate to a doctor appointment for a follow-up on his gunshot wounds. He was shot 15 times with a 380. All rounds missed his vital organs. He said the guy snuck up from behind him and just opened fire. Both the shooter and – let's see. Both the shooter and wounded – are gang bang bangers. I asked him if the guy reloaded and if he knew what gun he had. He didn't know. I'm not aware of any 380 that holds 15 rounds. I don't know what ammo was used either. I want to check because a few of them were working their way out of his back. I assumed that they were cheap ball ammo. With this in mind, would you ever use a 380 for self-defense? I would certainly, I certainly would not. Secondly, do you know of any high-capacity 380s out there? I've heard some old Mac 10s were in 380. Love the show, thanks, Doug. And he's in mm. Asheville, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Up there with you, man. Yeah, Doug's a buddy of mine, actually. Is uh, so, yeah, I've got some inside information on this one. Uh, the the firearm that was used in that particular crime actually is a Remington prototype. An R fifty one. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's an R fifteen. Yeah, yeah um, I, I've got R three eighty. Okay, there, there, there was um, the CZ eighty, <laughs> CZ eighty two, something like that, was made in three eighty, and I think it was, I think it was thirteen rounds. Also, wow. Beretta or Browning had a three eighty. That also was a double stack and ho- held a whole bunch of rounds as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know the one I'm talking did, about. Yes. Um, in Beretta, uh, it was the 84. It was the yeah. model 84. Um, the Browning. It was like a BDA or BDM BD, or something. BDA. Th- BDA. Yeah. yeah, 380. Taurus also made some high capacity 380s. Yeah. Uh, and, and Bursa then, may, yeah, Bursa may or may have. Yeah, right. And then Glock makes a high capacity 380 for south of the border countries. It's not available here in the in the U.S. Right. 
Um, I, I think part of part of the interesting dilemma there was he shot him 15 times but didn't hit any vital organs. <laughs> Is that uh, partly because of bad, uh, you know, <clears throat> bad aim? Or was it because it didn't penetrate? But he said some of them were actually working his, their way out toward out of his back, yeah. I guess. But well, that, gangbangers are never known to spend a lot of time on the range. Yeah. Uh, or with quality firearms, for that matter. Or quality ammunition. They'll stuff anything in it they can mm-hmm. get their hands on. So I, I would say it's there's probably not one answer here. It's probably, um, you know, a combination of bad ammo uh, and and bad tactics and, you know, not – I hate to say not enough training because we really don't want them to have a lot of training. No, gosh, no. Um, and and using a round that is at the lower, uh, you know, lowest of the spectrum of self defense rounds. Mm-hmm. Well, he asked the question: Would you ever use a three eighty for self defense? And that that's probably where she, we should end it. Um, I'm with Greg Elifritz and Claude Warner here. Yeah, I'd use a three eighty for self defense. It wouldn't bother me. Period. I would. Not me, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting, Grant, because I would use a three eighty for self defense if I needed a gun that small to be able to conceal. Mm-hmm. And I think that it comes into this whole idea of balance. And I'm not going to carry a three eighty because it's easy to conceal. I'm not going to carry a three eighty because it's super convenient. I'm going to do the the work that I need to do to carry nine millimeter. There you go. And and then yep. if I get in that situation where I, I don't know I'm a I'm a let's say I'm a doc <laughs> never going to happen and I'm going down to Cleveland Clinic at 3 a.m. and I need to be able to carry into the hospital where I'm not able to carry because of work policy and I'm going to be wearing scrubs okay 380 time if that makes sense you know if if I can avoid carrying a 380 I'm going to because the ammunition just isn't there yet. Well, yeah, and 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 you're alluding to the teeny tiny micro kind of thing um, with a 380, I guess. Right. At that yeah. Point. Right. That's why I'm going to the 80s because <coughs> so, I need something really small. I, I thought I'm the one. Really good supposed to for the, Go ahead, Millie. Compact nine nine millimeters these days. That it used to be that if you wanted a little tiny gun that you could carry around, you had to go to 380. Right. But there right. are so many more nine millimeters that are so compact now that that's that's not really a good excuse anymore. That's that's my point. <laughs> that's what kind of what I was bringing up. I mean, it's like, yeah, granted, they're not going to be as t tiny as the LCP, but um, you know that the LC nine's not a whole heck of a lot bigger. I mean, you know, but I mean, if say you're you know wearing a speedo at the beach and you have no other place to put one, okay, what? maybe. Well, keep keep in mind, he asked, <laughs> "Would you carry one?" He didn't put any conditions on it. Well, so the question should really be yes or no. Well, let's get a poll. Grant, yeah. you said yes. Yes. Uh, Joe? I would say yes. Okay. Melody? I'm saying no with a possible yes. <laughs> All right. And and who did I miss out? Paul? I think that's maybe what Melody sure. said. And that's what okay. I say. I say maybe. Well, I'm going to just say no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I would not do it. Well, I, I'm going to borrow. You know, I mean, you uh, you can throw out any number of situations where anyone would do anything. I mean, yeah, if I'm if I'm out of ammo and running through the mall and pick up a 380 to shoot my way out of an active shooter, well, of course I'm going to. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Are we outside of American Eagle or the Gap? <laughs> but in general, <laughs> you know, my- Brian Williams and I found ourselves in that situation. Just. <laughs> 
Sorry. <laughs> Had to. Oh, man, oh, man. It's okay. That's our last email. Um, and, yeah, so hopefully we answered your questions each. I, I, I'm with Melody. My, my point is, you know, they're, they're, they're small enough nine millimeters now that that's what I would go with. Um, if, if that was really what you needed to, uh, you know, have was to, to be able to really hide out uh, mm-hmm. in this circumstance. But, uh, you know, if I was at a friend's house and – I ran dry from an active shooting situation and had to, he had a 380 lading there. Yes, I would definitely use it, but no, I will never, I'll say never say never, but I, I would not at this point purposely carry a 380 for self defense. You know, it, it is interesting though. Um, I, I kind of understand what Melly's saying. She's clearly right in that there are small enough nine millimeters now. Mm hmm. That you don't have to carry uh, a 380 in order to get a, a small um, pistol, mm-hmm. but you know, gosh, uh, several times a week when I'm at the gun shop, people come in specifically looking for a small 380, mm. and there are some that yes, they can't handle the recoil on anything else, so I exempt them from this. Um, comment, but there are some that clearly can handle something more, but I just can't talk them into um, a nine millimeter. He's got they, their for some set. reason they got that three eighty in their head, mm. probably because somebody's told them that's what they should have. Yeah, well, I think some people think that those tiny, tiny little three eighties are because it's a quote unquote smaller bullet. It's going to be easier to handle and that's not always the case there's yes. so many people who buy those little 380s because they're small and they think oh it's a small gun therefore it's going to shoot best and it's going to be more manageable they go out and shoot it they come back two weeks later and say how much they hate it yeah i mean th- see that's the point in in the fact that you, you not only have you lowered the size of the round or the the power of it but you're also making the gun smaller and as we know the laws of physics still apply the smaller gun's got less mass. It's going to cause greater recoil, and yeah. you know, so you know, if you're talking about 380, and all you can handle recoil wise is a 380, you got to be comparing that to a, a gun that's like a standard gun, like a nine millimeter would have uh, there. So I, I, that's my opinion too. So anyway, and, and and also since this year began, I've had two people come in that were looking for shoulder holsters for their SIG P238s. Oh, yeah. Nice. You <laughs> get lost under your armpit. <laughs> uh, um, as I told them both. Hey, not everyone has that big of bodies. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. As, as, I told the, as I told them both, the only person that carries a three eighty uh, uh, in a shoulder holster is James Bond. And there'll be those that'll jump real quickly and say, no, 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 he carried a thirty two, yes, but in the last movie, he carried a Walther PPKS 380. Mm. Um, and as I told the last guy, there is one for that. It's, uh, it's called the Marilyn, and it's produced by Flashbang, <laughs> and uh, it hooks onto your bra. <laughs> now, there are the wearable ones, you know, the wearable, they're like shirts, you know. Um, who makes yeah. those? Yeah, oh, so uh, yeah, yeah. yeah those are great yeah. because nothing allows you to um, silently draw a gun um, like ripping Velcro uh, <laughs> apart as you're trying to draw it. Nothing yeah. helps your stealth. Uh, it's uh, a diversion, Joe. A diversion. <laughs> it draws your attention. 
And nothing makes it more accessible than having to go under four shirts to get to the other shirt that you're wearing. That has <laughs> yeah. Oh, me, oh, my. Well, hopefully we've exhausted that one, too. <laughs> I think we have. Uh, you, you were talking about uh, James Bond and um, uh, Walther and uh, – Oh, here comes here, – watch this smooth segue. Yeah. Joe, don't you have a Walther to talk about tonight? Why, sure I do, uh, Doc. It's the Walther CCP um, subcompact 9mm. And uh, when they first announced this, many shooters, myself included, looked at this and said, wow, this is a scaled-down, single-stack um, Walther PPQ-M2. And we were all very excited because the Walther PPQ-M2 has outstanding ergonomics. It's completely reliable. It has a fantastic trigger pull and a nice short um, reset. Well, I got my hands last week on the CCP, and the ergonomics are beautiful. Oh, and as always, um, uh, I would invite people to go over to averagejoeshandgunreviews.blogspot.com so that you can look at the pictures um, of the fire alarm and uh, of the fire alarm of the firearm and follow along um, as I r- ramble on uh, insidiously. So the CCP comes out and it's got the great ergonomics. There's a, uh, a wonderful undercut underneath the uh, rear of the trigger guard that really allows you to get your full hand around the grip and you can get a high grip on it. So er- you, your your thumb can can hit all of the controls on it. So it's very ergonomically pleasing. It's completely reliable. Well, two out of three ain't bad. Um, The trigger pull is long and gritty. Now, the good news is, is every time I shoot it, it gets a little smoother, um, but it's still just as long. And there virtually is no short reset whatsoever uh, on this trigger. It's like shooting a revolver. You've got to let the trigger uh, all the way out before the next round is uh, available to be fired. And what I thought was interesting about that is that uh, I have read all of the print reviews on the CCP available and looked at most of the um, online written or video reviews, and nobody has mentioned this trigger pull. But again, that's why you come here, because we give you the honest reviews and information you need to know about the pistol. Um, I'm kind of feeling like I should stop waiting to get my hands on guns that are announced, because it's bitten me. First was the Kimber Solo when they announced that. Um, I couldn't wait for that to come out, and then got my hands on it, and... It was uh, not reliable. Uh, then the Remington R51 was announced, and we've already trashed that to death. It just didn't work. And now the CCP was announced um, in in March of last year and has finally hit dealer shelves. And um, compared to the Solo and the R51, this is uh, like a Bill Wilson Nighthawk um, Cabot Arms gun. Um but comparing it to uh, its uh, older brother, the Walther PPQ-M2, the trigger really is uh, an issue. Now, you have to realize that really 
Um, appearance aside, this is a completely different uh, handgun. Starting with the operating platform, it's a gas-delayed blowback pistol with a fixed barrel. Uh, the slide rides on top of the frame without any rails on either the slide or the frame. Now, fixed-barreled blowback pistols generally uh, generate a lot of recoil, which is why you don't see them chambered for anything hotter than the 380 ACP or the 9x18 Makarov. The most popular way to make a fixed-barrel blowback work with the 9x19 Luger cartridge is to employ a gas-delayed system by putting a small port in the bottom of the barrel that bleeds some of the gases into a cylinder um, uh, on the inside of the frame. As the gases fill the cylinder, they slow a slide-mounted piston as it enters the uh, cylinder, thereby dissipating the recoil and dissipating you know, that driving back into your hand. This is the same type of operation that was care that was uh, used on the excellent HKP7 and the short-lived Wilson Combat Advanced Defense Pistol. Walther calls their operation the soft coil system and yes, it does dampen the recoil, but let me put that in perspective so that the proper expectation is set. It lessens the recoil compared to similar size pistols. It does not have less recoil than a larger, heavier, heavier pistol such as the Beretta 92. The end result is that because of the soft coil system, the CCP does not need a complicated recoil system, and because of the fixed barrel design, the CCP doesn't need a guide rod either. This allows for one large recoil spring to be used, which rides around the barrel. It also makes, that, therefore, the slide very easy to manipulate. So those with hand injuries, arthritis, or other ailments that affect their hand strength will probably find the manipulation of the slide much to their liking. As to the other spec, uh, specifications, it's 6.4 inches in length with a 3.54 inch barrel. It's 5.12 inches high with a width of 1.18 inches and a weight of 23.5 ounces. It's a single action pistol and therefore it does have a safety mounted on the left side of the frame. You push the safety up to engage it and you push it, push it down for disengagement and thereby I am uh, taking care of the feedback that says when a safety is on a gun, we should talk about whether you push it up or down for engagement and disengagement. So there you have it. There's also an accessory rail uh, beneath a forward frame should you want to mount a, a light or a laser on it. The sights are of the three-dot uh, variety. The rear low-profile sights adjustable for windage, and the pistol comes with two additional front sights. One is shorter in case the pistol is shooting low for you, and the other is taller so that you can make an adjustment if the pistol is shooting too high. Um, I already mentioned the uh, design highlights in terms of the pistol's ergonomics. Um, it is very, very good. Um, disassembly and reassembly of the pistol... Uh, is also kind of tricky at first, but it is a knack, and once you get the knack, you can do it very quickly. Um, but there, the pistol comes supplied with a tool that you must insert into um, a little circle with a metal tab on it 
that is at the rear of the slide. And uh, if you're on Average Joe's Handgun Reviews, uh, you will see both the tool and the circle that I'm talking about. You depress that tool into uh, that circle, uh, which depresses the tab, and you push it into the rear of the frame as far as it will go, which is a little bit over a quarter of an inch. Keeping the tool depressed in the slide, you then retract the slide about a quarter of an inch with your third hand and then pull the rear of the slide up until it clears the fixed barrel and then you can push it off the slide just like uh, if you were shooting a fixed barrel Walther PPK. Um, disassembly is um, all of that in reverse with the exception um, that you need to make sure when you're putting the slide back on over the barrel that the um, piston, which is on a slight hinge, is lined up properly with the whole of the cylinder that's uh, uh, in the in the frame. Um, once you have mastered this knack, which it took me about three times of assembling and disassembling to get it, you can do it pretty quickly. Um, the pistol is also pretty accurate, um, as you will see from the targets that I've listed there or shown there on the website using both... Uh, American Eagle uh, 115 grain full metal jacket ammo, and then three targets at the end uh, that are using Spear Gold Dot 124 grain plus P, uh, Guard Dog 105 grain, and uh, Federal uh, Premium 124 grain Shock. Um, when I first handled this pistol, um, I love the way it felt when I gripped it, but the trigger pull and the assembly, uh, disassembly, reassembly process really put me off. But I'm glad to say, again, um, the disassembly, reassembly issues go away the better you, you get at it. Uh, it gives you really, really good ergonomics and good accuracy. So my only real complaint when you look at it is that the trigger pull uh, is long and doesn't have much of a reset. But otherwise, it's completely reliable um, and it's accurate. I give it kind of a thumbs up at this point, and I'm expecting to uh, um, grow a stronger position one way or the other the more I uh, time I get to spend behind the trigger with this pistol. Hmm. Interesting. What was the price on it again? Uh, it's right... It's under $500. Okay. It's... it's uh, uh, four thirty nine, four forty nine. You know that will depend upon the uh, uh, gun store that you go into. Yeah, look, a uh, pretty good looking pistol though. I mean, um, well, you know, it's interesting you say that because when I first put the uh, the pictures of it up on my average Joe Facebook page, mm -hmm. um, someone who owns a uh, nine millimeter high point carbine commented that this was uh, a really ugly gun. <laughs> oh beauty's in the eye of the beholder i guess <laughs> interesting any any of you uh instructors ever see uh much of this type i guess any of the walthers come through or i see some walthers from time to time and i actually had a, a chance to shoot this ccp at uh media day or, or mm -hmm. industry days at the range granted mm -hmm. do you get a chance to shoot it while you were out there um no and I I don't remember the last time I hold on seen... hold on hold on. Grant, did you get a chance to shoot that at Industry Days? No, Paul. 
I wasn't there. Oh, got it. Just <laughs> sorry. Yeah, Paul. I'm sorry, Paul. I was too busy at in my his penthouse <laughs> at the Mirage. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Drinking his kombucha. Combing his hair a hundred strokes. Room service at my penthouse. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, my goodness. It was an interesting gun. I was excited to shoot it. Um, you know, without having other similarly sized pistols right there to shoot along with it, it was mm-hmm. hard to judge recoil. Um, you know, without something to compare it to, it's you know, it's it's lost on what it really is. So I can't really comment on that. Although it felt like it was a pretty snappy gun, so I didn't feel a whole lot of of recoil reduction. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, nobody's going to be surprised to hear that I'm not a fan of a firearm with a manual safety on it. That's not what, what it is that right I'm exactly. Shocked. You know, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. Um, understand, everyone. That's not average Joe's opinion. That's my opinion, mm-hmm. and uh, um, it's you know I understand because of the design of the gun, it needs to be there. So therefore, I would choose a different design, especially since I didn't feel any massive reduction in recoil. Um, trigger, at, Joe, you're absolutely right on the money with that. It was a long reset. I mean, the trigger reset when you reached back to this point of not moving anymore how much that comes into play in defensive shooting you know probably not a whole lot but the fact of the matter is a shorter resetting gun is probably going to be a little bit more reliable Mm -hmm. so you know my overall assessment is yeah we'll pass on this one keep at it walther you'll get it someday i like your grip on it yeah it's comfortable hold yeah is that very the ppq Yes, Joe? it's it's similar to the PPQ except smaller. I like okay. it. Looking good. You know, I have to wonder why they felt they needed to make this a fixed barrel. Because, good question. You know, I wonder if this whole piston thing, if, if somehow that, th- that this is um, confusing their engineering of the trigger. I have no, you know, I'm not an engineer, so I can't say that. But it just seems to me that they've overcomplicated this pistol a little bit. Thinking mm-hmm. of the design, Joe, wouldn't it have to be a fixed barrel due to the gas port in the chamber allowing, or, or it, in the barrel anyways, to allow the gas bleed off? If the barrel is going to move, it's not going to work as it's designed to work, I would think. Well, d- very true, but why, why did they want to do a fixed barrel gas piston design as opposed to... Uh, a pistol that that has a barrel that is not fixed. Right. And I think recoil reduction was their goal. Yeah. I think their goal was to make a, a pistol that was easier to shoot than the typical 9mm. Well, but and I, of course, I'm not. The slide I, I is easy. Yeah. Certainly the slide is easy to manipulate. But my issue so with that going, whole thing is, you know, we we need to make guns that are easy to shoot, not guns that are easy to load. And I've mentioned that before in the idea of, you know, if this is a defensive firearm, we need to load it one time and we may need to yeah. shoot it multiple times. Mm-hmm. So let's focus on having that gun be shootable. If need be, I can rack the slide on the old desk down in the basement to load the gun, mm-hmm. you know, using my whole body weight to do so. Put that front side or that rear side, excuse me, on the edge of the desk, rack the slide. We're good to go. The gun's mm-hmm. loaded. Yeah. So, you know, you you bring up a good point and I'm going to add that to my discussion with people who come into the shop. You know, are, are you going to wait until you hear 
the grass the glass crashing at two a.m. to load the gun. Yeah, and and for some people, Joe, my opinion is yes, that's the time to load the gun. And for other people, the answer is no, 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 no. The gun already needs to be loaded, and that all depends on level of training, physical ability to be able to manipulate the firearm. Who else is in the house? What else do you have to focus on? It's it's a complicated question, but for somebody that physically can't manipulate a slide or has a difficult time manipulating a slide or is even worried about it, we can load this gun. Well, that's a big thing for a lot of women, though, and that's and I'm sure anyone who's worked in a gun store knows they come in and one of the big concerns is, well, I can't rack the slide. And trying to actually get them to talk about, well, how is it going to shoot and can you manipulate the trigger? <laughs> that's right. a really big part. Right. Um, that goes right over their head. They don't even really think about that. That's so far down the line from I need to rack the slide that it's like they don't even think about it at all. Well, and, and that's we talked about this in the manual safety episode that we did. And, and what I tried to help people understand was the idea of every time you're involved in a defensive shooting, you're going to need to press the trigger. You may at some point in time need to reload the gun, manipulate the slide, et cetera, et cetera. But the real focus is you're going to have to press the trigger. So no, don't, don't trade a gun that you can't load for a gun you can't shoot. If you've got a 17-pound recoil spring that you can use your whole hand and your upper body to manipulate, don't trade that for a 10-pound trigger mm-hmm. that you can only use your index finger to work. Oh, I absolutely it agree with that. doesn't make sense, yeah. And I just think that, that for a lot of people who aren't shooters, you start talking about triggers and trigger poundage and resets and things like that, they, they, their faces white out. They have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but everyone knows about slide, you know. Well, I right. can't rack the slide. And it, it's, it's just a hurdle of, of education more so in their own opinions. And to them, it only matters whether or not they can rack the slide when really, like you said, that's kind of, you know, a one-time thing. Hopefully mm-hmm. long before you ever need the gun. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's think, yet another reason to get good training. Yeah, I think one of the reasons yes. that that comes up so much as an as a perceived issue, and it is a perceived issue, is because uh, again, men have made such a big freaking deal about this, um, and and it is. I the, the reason I think that that so many women get this idea is because at some point some idiot has told them, oh, my God, if you don't have good upper body strength, you can't rack the slide, and that's going to be a major problem. And, of course, that kind of sticks in their mind as a major problem. Or they and, just say flat out, go get a revolver because you won't be able to yeah, rack the slide. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I think part of the – I think the big issue here is, is, first of all, educating men to not be stupid. And unfortunately, I've been absolutely, completely ineffective in doing that. And men With are yourself? Women. Still, With yourself? Still, still stupid. No, not with myself, Doc. Listen but, from listen to the woman. Stop being stupid, man. Stop yeah, being stupid. Exactly. Listen to the baby. <laughs> yes, listen to the baby. The he baby's saying, Mama, you're right. Smack daddy. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Hey little baby. Little baby. He agrees. He'll be a good gun store clerk someday. <laughs> no joke. Now um, this discussion brings up another topic uh which would be great to have um uh melanie in on the discussion with and maybe you know tonight is not the night to do that maybe we save it for another night but uh gun storage and safety in a house with children Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sounds like a winner yeah i'm in 
Okay. Well, we'll we'll do that next time. How you know that uh, that you're on? Awesome. We'll do that next time she's on. Awesome. Um. So okay. So we, you know, I guess we got a thumbs up right now. A kind of pass on it right now. I like the grip. Uh. Uh. Hey, at least there's new ones out there. It's a good looking gun, I think, except for the people that uh, own the high point firearm carbines. <laughs> So we'll see. We'll see how it goes with it. We'll see how it goes with well, it. Well, and you know, and this pistol should start to be in um, rental cases at ranges. Yeah. And so the best thing to do, you know, is to always try before you buy. If yeah. You go, can. go check it out. Absolutely, a hundred percent. That's everybody needs to do that before they buy one. Very good review, sir. As as per usual. Uh, let's do a little topic here. Um, we had a request a while back to do everyday carry, what we would carry. In essence, like, you know, what do you carry as people? You see this on, uh, on Facebook all the time. Pocket dump, you know. And uh, no, it doesn't mean – well, anyway, uh, it means you dump the stuff out of your pocket. What do you have? What did you carry all day long in your pockets? And, uh, you know, you see various and sundry things such as pocket knives to uh, – Knives that are larger than pocket knives to uh, flashlights, of course, uh, your firearm, uh, the type of holster you have. Of course, there's always like a cell phone, car keys, the whole shebang. But uh, I guess the question is, you know, what what would we need to carry? And it can branch into a little bit more than just what you would think we've got right here. Uh, Melody brought up before the show started uh, something that we'll get to momentarily. As far as that's concerned, too, that that Grant and uh, uh, Paul have brought up before. But guys, what do you? Let's start with. Uh, I just want to say Paul would be a good one to start with with a oh, pocket. Man. Tell us, dude, what do uh, you got? Are we? We've got sixty minutes left in the show. Oh what? no! Don't I don't want to hear about kitchen sink and. All right, let's make kombucha. <laughs> um, on the table now, Glock eighteen. Uh, when I say Glock eighteen, that's in air quotes. It's a Glock 17 with a grip chopped down to the length of a Glock 19. So 17 plus 19 divided by 2 is 18. I have fun with that. Glock 18, <laughs> um, that's the pistol I carry. I carry that in a Dale Fricky holster um, inside the waistband appendix style. That's down on the table. Uh, along with that, I've got a mag holder from my buddy Mark Housekeeper out in Utah and a 17, a Glock 17 reload. So that's my spare magazine. Um, coming out of my left pocket, a Smith & Wesson 442 in a Milt Sparks pocket holster. Um, let's mm. go back to the Glock 17 or 18 for a second. That's loaded with right now with HSTs from Federal, 124 grains. The 442 is loaded with five uh, spear gold dots. Uh, Grant, are they going to be 125s or 135s? 135s. 138. Yeah, 135s, 135s, the 38 special. So now we'll move back to my, my rear pockets. Kind of odd. Uh, first thing to come out is a wallet from the right side, my gun hand side, that has my credit cards, my ID, my everything important in it that I don't want to have to give up. And out of the left side, my non-gun side or my non-primary side would be a holster with some, excuse me, a wallet with some cash and uh, somebody else's business cards in it. Awesome. So if I need, if I need to toss a wallet, um, somebody's yes. going to get 100 bucks and no information about who I am. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to the front right pocket. 
I happen to have right now uh, the folks from Olight set me up with a Maverick M18, which is a nice like seven million lumen flashlight with three different modes. Um, I'm I'm very pleased with it. Um, had some accidental discharges with it, meaning the light has activated itself in my pocket. We'll talk to them about that. So that's the light that I'm carrying. Operates on two uh, CR123A batteries. Uh, but pretty nice. I also have an Emerson Endura 4 that happens to have the Emerson uh, little tab that allows it to open on my pocket. So when I draw my knife out of my pocket, it opens in an automated fashion, which I'm a huge fan of, thanks to Alessandro Padovani of Safer Faster Defense for tipping me off on that knife. And then two sets of keys. One set is the car keys. The other set is the house keys. And that pretty much wraps it up for me in my pockets. Good night, everybody. Oh, yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> I didn't even mention my belt. And I got to say, the belt is super important. Yeah, oh, belt, man. Yeah, this is from Aries Gear. We're talking about their cool belt that's like the Boy Scout type buckle. Um, Another Aries. I cannot escape Aries. Yeah, love this stuff. Epoxy filled, uh, epoxy filled webbing with a, a plastic insert. Super stiff belt. Actually, it looks pretty cool too. Hmm. I'm out. All right. Yeah, take a breath, bud. Oh no kidding, Grant. What do you uh, normally carry? What do you got now? I guess. Or? Well, well, I'm I'm wearing sweatpants. I have no pockets. Yeah, I'm with you on that right now. <laughs> but but normally when you okay went. normally um okay. Uh, I usually carry, I usually wear cargo pants and in the left cargo pocket, I usually have my wallet and in the right cargo pocket is my phone and I carry an iPhone 5S in the right cargo pocket. Um, in the left front pocket, I virtually always carry the two same things. I carry a, a four sevens flashlight. Mm-hmm. It's a QT two a dash X with a one double a uh, body on it, so I run it on one double a. That's my utility light, and I also carry a Swiss Army knife, the exact model which I don't remember, but it has a couple of blades, a scissors, uh, um, Phillips screwdriver, flat screwdriver, and most importantly, and I use this actually quite a bit, is a magnifying glass. And so I I've carried this. For years, it's it's beat up. Actually, both of these things are beat up because they ride in the same pocket. Uh, so the right hand pocket is is usually it, it depends upon if I'm carrying a uh, a Smith and Wesson model six forty two in a pocket holster. If I'm if I'm carrying that goes that goes in the right pocket. The uh, clipped inside of my right cargo pocket is a Spyderco Zulu model by Jens Ansu, Mm. which is my favorite knife. And um, it's a very unusual knife. A lot of people look at it and kind of shake their head. But I use this this knife. It's funny how often that happens where people look at you and shake their head. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. At least they don't shake Um, his head. The uh, it's it's a very unusual shape, but I found it's once somebody once called it the most sophisticated knife he's ever used, and I have to agree. As a utility knife, it has no peer, um, so I carry that. And um, if I'm carrying a gun on the belt, it is either a Steyr S9, either an original one or an A1, 
or a Ruger GP 103 inch. Uh, the Steyr S9 original is carried in a holster that my wife made uh, more than a decade ago. And if it's the A1, it's carried in a Mark Garrity Incognito. The belt I wear, I think all of my belts were made by my wife back when she was in the holster business. So they're all uh, two layers of leather with a polyethylene stiffener in between mm-hmm. them. So even after more than a decade of, decade of wear, they're still ultra stiff. Awesome. Boy, you're getting close to uh, Paul there. Oh, I, I, of course, my keys. My keys are on a yeah. D jammer device, which I made myself out of uh, out of brass, because the aluminum D jammers just are not really heavy enough to knock squibs out of barrels. So I have a brass one that I, because I have machining equipment, I made it myself. Hmm. Well, let's Melody. What? Uh, let's get a, a lady's perspective for for hmm. daily carry. Wow. Uh, again, how long is this show? Um, <laughs> well, see, I, I got to cheat. I got to carry a bag because even though we women actually do sometimes have pockets, they are so tiny, you really can't fit anything in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so always, I always have my, um, I'm carrying a Smith & Wesson M&P Shield 9mm. Safety less, by the way. And uh, mm. that is in my um, Spencer Keepers AIWB Errand holster. And um, then I always have chapstick. You can't have chapstick with you everywhere. The rest pretty much goes. Um, I, I try and keep a, a knife on me at some place somewhere. Sometimes it's my Benchmade triage or um, it's my Benchmade mini griptilian, which mm-hmm. is custom. That's my husband got it for me. It says to Lima with love. Mm. <laughs> so um, that would be, I'd, I'd hate to have to give that up in court. But anyway, um, <laughs> after that, I have a, I, I carry a Maxpedition Lunata. That's my, that's my EDC bag slash my purse slash diaper bag, pretty much everything. And uh, that has my flashlight in it, which is a Streamlight uh, PTL1. And you guys are getting into batteries. I'm like, I don't know what battery my, is in my flashlight. It's a battery. It works. Um, <laughs> so I, I like that light. I used to carry that in my pockets more, but sometimes I'd find that the button would get depressed and then my battery would be dead in a couple hours. So, uh, um, so that stays in my bag now. Um, in, also in my bag, I have a full um, blowout bag kit, including tourniquet, um, I do carry an EpiPen because my husband and son are both allergic to certain bugs. And um, I also have, like I said, a CAT tourniquet. I've got um, thin cinch pressure bandage. I've got compressed gauze. I have, um, I think, five or six triangular bandages that are in there, um, petroleum gauze. <laughs> I got the whole kit and caboodle, lots of <laughs> four-by-fours. Um, I'm also an EMT, by the way, so mm. I have I have that kind of going for me too. But um, the rest of it is oh, and my baton. I do have a collapsible baton that I carry, and I do on my keys uh, every day. Um, that is my ASP key defender, which mm. is also, of course, a small coup baton in addition to being pepper spray. So I have that as well, and uh, my cell phone. I have a. The Lunata, if you're familiar with it, has lots of Molly all over it. So I have my cell phone con- attached to that with a Molly attachment, along with a pair of trauma shears and um, 
couple bandanas, diapers. Everyone's got to have diapers. <laughs> and um, Grant for the for the big ones. <laughs> yeah. Whoo! Wow, <laughs> you got it going on. Well, you, you've 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 you brought up a good point. We'll come back to which is what I wanted to expand on. Joe, what you got for us? Well, um, in terms of what is on my belt, um, it's usually one of four pistols. Although, depending upon what I am um, testing uh, or reviewing, that might change. But it would either be a CZ. Uh, DPCR 9mm compact, mm-hmm. uh, a Glock G19, a Walther PPQ M2, uh, a Kimber Aegis, and all of these have been in 9mm, uh, except for days when I decide I want to carry my Glock 38-45 gap. Um, I will carry one reload for all of them on my uh, uh, belt, and when we start going through, well, to go to the belt, it's... Uh, made by uh, Idaho Leather Works. I have one in plain black and one in basket weave uh, uh, brown. We get to the pockets uh, in the right-hand pocket, and I realize I should be carrying this actually in my left-hand pocket, but old habits die hard, uh, is a SIG P938 9mm. I have a uh, pocket holster for that made by Remora, and I also had Remora take one of their pocket holsters and uh, stitch it kind of right up the middle, giving me two compartments instead of one compartment for a pistol. I have two compartments where I can put um, a magazine for the P938 um, or a knife or a baton or a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's a magazine and flashlight. Um, which is either a four seven and don't ask me the uh, uh, the model number, but it has a gajillion uh, lumens of light, and then I have a smaller one, uh, and this is all dependent upon whether or not I'm wearing jeans or whether or not um, I'm going to be visiting clients and I have on dress pants. If it's clients, the dress pants don't conceal things quite as well. So we go to uh, my smaller Benchmade knife and um, my smaller uh, flashlight. Um, Normally, uh, in my back pocket uh, is a Buck uh, assisted opening um, knife. This knife is tough as nails. And if I'm wearing jeans, it will be that knife. If... uh, I'm not wearing jeans. It will be a smaller um, Benchmade. And, uh, you know, wallet in my rear left-hand pocket. And uh, my cell phone, uh, the HTC One, hoping that the HTC people are listening and, you know, want to send me a free one. But (laughs) I like that phone because it's very thin. And I also like it because the speakers are on the front. So if you're watching uh, um, a video, you know, if you just find out that Grant has posted one of his many extremely important videos and you want to watch that, the speakers are on the front of the phone, uh, which is nicer than phones where the speakers are on the back for some reason. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much it. Y'all wore me out. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess it's important to have the proper tools and the things that you need. 
uh, you know, every day. People will say, and I, I get tickled because, you know, walk down the hall, like you say, if you're wearing dress slacks or whatever, like, uh, you know, I have to for work, uh, you might sound like a vending machine walking down the hallway, but um, I guess it just depends on, on where you're going. But I think at a bare minimum, you, you know, if you're going to have your firearm, um, I, I noticed, Paul, you, you had the backup. Um, I've always kind of always had a backup, but I've kind of since Grant, we've talked about it and Grant doesn't. And I've started thinking, man, I'd really like to minimize a little bit and be able to have a little freer movement without all this stuff on me. So I, I I quit carrying a backup. I do carry, of course, a spare mag, uh, unless I'm carrying a revolver, and then of course I'm carrying uh, speed strips, uh, perhaps one of the uh, uh, speed loaders. Uh, I but, hope you're carrying that speed loader in a crossbreed speed loader pouch by Grant Cunningham. I'm I not yet, but done. by gosh, if the oh, if the inventor would send me one of those along with the book that he wants me to review with him, uh, <laughs> just saying, man. Anyway, wow. what a pooch. I know it. Um, but anyway, they. Uh, I, I think at bare minimum, flashlight. People say, why would you need a flashlight? To find my kids' earrings when they <laughs> drop them on the yeah. ground. I mean, <laughs> contact lenses. Right. Uh, I mean, it's that simple. And, and you know, just, just recently, I, I didn't have mine with me. And I do the four sevens now. That's an excellent, excellent brand. Um. I, I had uh <laughs> light's pretty good too. I mean Yeah, okay. All right. I'm with you. Just saying. Okay. And we believe you. And okay. and uh you know, we had a we had an outage in, in the, the office. And I, I for the first time and I've worked there almost eighteen years, I was actually in the center of the lab, which we have a big lab. And when the light went out, for some reason our um battery backup lights on the well, they didn't kick on. And I mean, you could not see anything. I mean, nothing. And it was, uh, that's bad news when you're in a lab. I let glassware and everything around. <laughs> and, oh my gosh, my foot's burning. You just stepped in a bucket of muriatic acid. Don't worry about it. But, you know, it just, uh, it's very important. I've, I, I was talking with somebody, maybe it was with you guys on, on the show recently, or somebody else was talking about how important it was. They were at like a grocery store. And the lights went out in the grocery store. And even though they had the power lights on the side, you still couldn't, you know, they had their children with them. So they felt it was more important, obviously, to have their flashlight to illuminate for the for the kids to, you know, make their way through. And uh, um, so, so I mean, there's there's a whole lot of different considerations, I guess. I, I've, I've tried to myself become a little bit more minimal, minimalized in, in the things I'm carrying due to the fact that most of the time I'm I'm I'm. Here at home, I go to work. I'm in the office or you know the lab, basically same area, and then I, I really come home. <laughs> That's about it. So, but it's still important, I think, to have at least a minimal amount of things like that. And then uh, uh, Melody brought up a, a good point that Grant and and Paul have brought up, uh, I think, many times. It's so, uh, Joe has too. I have to admit, uh, is you know for emergency type situations. Now she had mentioned she's EMT. But it would behoove us, I think, to have some type of emergency kit or something uh, handy uh, to be in the case of, of needing to have some type of first aid, uh, y- you know. And it doesn't just have to be like, you know, gun related, obviously. I mean, you cut yourself, you might need to tourniquet something, you know. <laughs> if you if you need a tourniquet just for cutting yourself, you, you really made a well, I mean, a di- well, <laughs> That's a big knife. 
<laughs> that's not a knife. No, <laughs> which is it's really, really true because uh, just as an example, my my daughter pulled a shopping cart over top of her on top of herself and and busted her nose pretty bad, mm-hmm. and I was able to just open my bag, get out a couple of four by four gauze pads, and stop it right there. You know, I didn't need to freak out or freak anyone else out that my child was bleeding profusely from the nose in the middle of the grocery store. So mm-hmm. that helped. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. You know, of course, with my son, he'd had trachs, a, a trach for the longest time, which he doesn't anymore. And, of course, YouTube and all. But uh, we, I, I, anytime we went anywhere, we were carrying all kinds of stuff. You know, it was like a medical cart going with us. Um, but uh, so I, I feel what you're saying there. I mean, it just – but it's uh, – I think, you know, and Grant, you had mentioned, uh, you know, some, I guess, type scenarios of using – uh, some type of emergency thing, Paul. You you actually sell some, I think, right? Or yeah, I've got some, and I'll tell you what, Doc. You know, I've I've had to deal with exactly zero tangos with my firearm, mm-hmm. and yet, you know, I know I've given uh, life saving or at least life altering first aid in three accounts in my life. And just like Melody, I carry a bag with me just about everywhere I go. I've got a mm-hmm. a great backpack, and inside that is medical gear. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah, because I'm much more likely to have to deal with a medical emergency than I am with a serious self-defense scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's happened three times, and and therefore I need to be prepared to deal with that. No yeah. doubt about it. Well, listen, that's a good point that you bring up. And it, how do you learn to use this stuff? All right. So, and, and let me let me let me say this. Um, you know, I know that there's there's classes. Certain people are. Specialize, I guess, in it right. based on, I guess, the gun arena or the firearms lifestyle. And then there's others that, that do it based on just like in a first aid kind of thing. And then, of course, you've got the ever reasonable, reasonably priced, um, you know, community college where you can go and, and, and learn, you know, first aid and, and even take a class. I mean, uh, so so what what do you do what what do we need to do as far as being able to to use this stuff efficiently well, well so uh, melody go ahead i'm sorry it, i didn't mean to interrupt um well it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because i i live in the middle of iowa there's there's not a whole lot for these tactical medical classes and stuff around i i've always wanted to take greg alfred's tactical medical class mm-hmm. um but it just wasn't happening and i wanted like we've talked about, there's so many different scenarios where you can use medical skills. Mm-hmm. So I actually went down to the community college, and I was just going to take a first responder class. Mm-hmm. And the guy, the instructor, talked me into taking EMT. He's like, you know, it's not that much longer, it's not that much more, and you'll get so much more information out of it. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, you know, and I was going to this class simply just to be a little bit better prepared rather than to be an EMT. Right, but right. I ended up loving it so much and, and just enjoying the ride time, enjoying my clinical time that I, I kept it up and I've, I've done it in a volunteer um, position since then. And I, I don't anticipate stopping anytime, but that's, that's exactly how I did it was I did the community college um, aspect. Mm-hmm. That's, that's to me, that's kind of what I would do. So it's just local, it's inexpensive. I mean, you know, it's uh, now you may get more than you would, anticipate with just oh, yeah. the first aid aspect of it. And but that's one of the isn't that great, though? Yeah, well, people are going, like, some people, they, they just want the tactical medicals part. Right. And we we as EMTs understand that you're going to see way more 
shortness of breath, and heart-related issues, then you're ever going to see gunshot wounds. Mm-hmm. And some people in the tactical communities find that boring. They don't want to go and do CPR. They want to stop blood. Um, so that can get a little boring for some people, but I found it to be absolutely fascinating. So I was like, hey, you know, sign me up for both. Oh, yeah. I approached it from a similar way that Melody did. I actually selected the college that I went to based on, you know, what university owned its own ski hill, which some people <laughs> some people may find to be a little bit off-putting. But uh, you know, I, I was young and I was an idiot and I ended up in my phys ed classes taking a ski patrol course. And the ski patrol course is basically an EMT course minus pregnancy and snake bites. And there aren't very many snakes on the ski hill and, you know, pregnant women are smart enough to probably not ski at eight months pregnant. And so um, I got a ton of practical experience from that education and it's the, the application is, is widespread. Um, I've used it in, in automobile accidents. I've used it uh, in mountaineering accidents where folks have fallen from large heights and we've had to backboard folks. So it's been a really really valuable experience. Mm -hmm. And then it's really simple to take and apply that to the tactical world. Um, Stopping blood and keeping blood inside the body. Now what we know about tourniquets and keeping blood inside the body, you know, it's really, it's really that easy. So Mm -hmm. go on out there, start out. If you don't have a, a red cross or American heart association, CPR and basic first aid course, that's the place to begin Mm -hmm. and then go from there. Grant, you got. Well, you, uh, you, you, oh, yeah, go ahead. I think you had a really, really good point that in the if you take the those kinds of classes like through your college, you you have a a more I'm sorry better chance that you're actually going to get to practice those mm-hmm. in a clinical setting versus like for instance EMTs we had to do whoops we had to do ride time and we had to do ambulance time you know you had to clock right. so many hours you don't get that in a tactical medical class right right you get, you get a little <laughs> bit of practice on compliant people, but sure. you don't actually get to see it in the field. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's no doubt a, a big part of it. One of the things that I've looked at since I took those courses, which is, oh goodness, almost 20 years ago now, um, and I look at what we're doing in the firearms industry, the firearms industry is so far behind when it comes to reality-based training than the medical field is. You know, we were doing top-notch scenarios mm-hmm in 1990 and here we are in 2015 25 years later and and there are very few people that are doing the scenario training that was being done with medical work back then so absolutely jump into that and you know we're hosting Caleb Causey of Lone Star Medics up here in Cleveland Ohio in March 21st mm-hmm. 22nd you know jump on the website safetysolutionsacademy.com check out the course schedule we'd love to have you up here for a tactical medic medicine course and definitely get that CPR. Definitely get that first aid. Yeah. And and be ready to deal with, you know, Uncle Frank having a heart attack at the Thanksgiving table. Yeah. Now, um, hey, Joe, do you – what have you – have you gotten any training like that or uh, – No, I uh, – See, me I neither. Have a first aid kit. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is basic uh, stuff. I have not taken any advanced training, but I do have my cell phone. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably, you know, most of my adult life has been spent in Chicago and Los Angeles and now Minneapolis, where you dial 911, you're going to have somebody there in two to three minutes. Mm-hmm. 
Well, now, I, that I'm with you. That doesn't mean I shouldn't get the training. I should. Yeah. Well, and that's me. I mean, now I had to have first aid, especially for children, uh, before they'd let us leave the hospital with my son back, you know, when he had a surgery with a trach and all. So, you know, and, and I'd been a lifeguard um, for years and actually taught lifesaving um, uh, as a water safety instructor. So you had to have a certain degree of, of training for stuff like that. And then, of course, we had our equipment that we used. Um, but, you know, at one point, it never occurred to me that I'd need that outside, you know, um, the pool. And, and, of course, you know, when my son came along and we had the issues there, then, of course, I thought how important it is to do that. But it would just, you know, any type of training like, like that would go, like you say, that you'd be more apt to use that in any given situation at any day. Uh, you know, versus, uh, you know, pulling your handgun on somebody uh, much more so. But uh, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'd like to have some more uh, training. Of course, I, I keep up on my uh, first aid. I always do that. Uh, always get, renew that uh, to try to refresh. And, I mean, you know, there's not much to it. But, you know, doggone, if you don't use it, you kind of lose it. So it's it's very important, I think, to go back and and get refresher courses and the like on it too, which is it is important uh, as as carrying a firearm and getting training. I think occasionally you got to have a refresher course for that as well. Um, so very important, I think, and some good good aspects here. And I was glad that uh, Melody uh, mentioned she was ENT and what she carries as well, because that was a good segue into you know what you would carry every day. Uh, I know in the past I I'd looked at uh, I kind of was not put off, but I kind of dismissed a little bit wrongly so in my in my case wrongly so uh about getting the training like i thought ah you know just get your cpr and don't worry about it but you know what no i i I changed my mind on that because i think it's very important uh you know just uh for your loved ones and anybody else you know that you come in contact with to uh to do it grant you're uh you're off you asleep no (laughs) you have anything to add sir uh uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, I'll take that as a no. no. I, I I carry a trauma kit with me wherever I go. I I carry a bag mm-hmm. with me, just like uh, like everybody else does. I carry a bag with me, and inside is a trauma kit, and I know how to use it. I've taken classes in trauma, uh, you know, response, and uh, of course CPR and and that kind of thing. And I agree, you you need to you need to understand CPR. You need to understand how to deal with choking. You need to understand. Heimlich maneuver, how to do it properly. Need to know how to be able to do it with children, especially if you've got kids. Oh man! Um, and because it's then, different. Yeah, very very different thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, then the the uh, the trauma response. And I I think it's absolutely vital. I th- and I'm with Paul. You're you're more likely to need the medical skills than you are the shooting skills. Mm-hmm. Realistically, well, right on. Way to I'll wrap it up then, because that's. Uh can't really put any better than that. Uh, well, everybody, uh, I enjoyed tonight. Um, Melody, it's great to have you on with us now. Uh, do not let Grant and Paul put you off because Joe and I are really what counts, and uh, oh. yeah, we like you. So. Hurtful. Well, I like you, too. Thank you for having me on. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed this. Well, we're looking forward to you coming on again. Hopefully we'll you know, be able to keep it from – a time, I guess, when your children don't have to. <laughs> they, I, I think when I mentioned to her if she could come on tonight just to say hey and kind of get an introduction, uh, she said, "Well, I'd smack dab in the middle of bedtime." 
I well, understand it's that. It's actually worked out. This gave me an excuse to get them in bed about 15 minutes early, and I was like, yes! <laughs> nice work. more minutes! Although, nice. obviously, I have one who is staging a coup. Uh-huh. Well, he's, he's been good. You know, only a few interruptions, so he's been pretty good. Yeah. I, well, very see, good. Not, not having children, I don't understand this, but I can appreciate yeah. it. This dad that's at home with the kids loves it that I've got somebody that understands what I'm going through. I understand you, bro. <laughs> right on, Melody. I have cats. Does that count? Uh, no. Okay, fine. Be that mm. way. It's it's okay. Yes, if you me. heard them. Yes, he's a mean man. <laughs> yes, if you push Only a rope. if the cat follows you around meowing every five seconds, then it uh, Yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. Well, like I said, we appreciate you and looking forward to you uh, contributing to the show. And uh, uh, we will look forward to that. And then uh, Grant, Joe, Paul, uh, appreciate it as usual. And uh, we will catch everybody next episode. All right. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of the Gun Nation. Thanks for listening to the program. Please go to the main webpage at gunnation.us for all things Gun Nation. As you know, I like uh, like rock and play that a lot on the show. I came across on Facebook the uh, post that had been going around of three young girls that are in a band, and obviously they're sisters as well, but they are young. I think the youngest is like nine and the oldest is 13 or 14 years old. But uh, here's their cover of Enter Sandman by Metallica. It's really good. I'll put a link to the YouTube video of it on the on the webpage. So go check it out. I, I thought it was pretty good. See what you think. Until the next episode, stay armed, stay polite, sleep with one eye open.